Church, a URC congregation in Cincinnati, Ohio. And today we wanted to, to spend some time talking about providence. Uh, not providence, Rhode Island, but the providence of God. And we wanted to talk about uh, how the providence of God is a comfort to us, or should be a comfort to us. Uh, but sometimes it's not. Maybe it's a misunderstanding. Maybe it's, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of um, uh, getting into kind of the logical weeds or something where we shouldn't go. But Zach, maybe you can maybe start us off by telling us what, what providence is not. What are some landmines we should avoid in thinking about it? Absolutely. I think this is pretty key because when people hear discussions about providence, especially when it's coming from someone who is a quote-unquote Calvinist or someone from an Augustinian uh, background in terms of a theological outlook as we do, then they immediately hear fatalism or determinism. And those become two categories that we need to dis uh, distinguish ourselves from, even though there might be some overlap in terms of some uh, of the determinism. There might be a little bit of conceptual overlap, but not entirely. And so we need to clarify what we mean by those things. When we think about fatalism, we have a definition here for us that the acceptance of all things and events as inevitable, a submission to fate. And this really becomes a subjective posture, you could call it, where this resignation might be a good way of, uh, of describing it. It's being resigned to what's going to, going to occur. And the fatalist really begins to view the, uh, the workings of the world as headed into some direction, and that no matter what one does, well, we're just resigned to the same outcome anyway, so why bother? Why go about it? Fatalists can often be very um, uh, down about things and, uh, again, like resigned to whatever fate might be. Uh, determinism is, uh, again, another de definition here. Um, similar to fatalism, less, uh, less objective, though. All events in the universe, including human decisions and actions, are causally inevitable. Determinism entails that in a situation in which a person makes a certain decision or performs a certain action, it is impossible that he or she could have made any other decision or performed any other action. End quote. And while I think that there are some places here where we can, can understand and agree with some aspects of determinism, I think that we want to avoid some of the um, uh, some of the things that Brand just mentioned and hinted at a second ago of then acting like uh, things are um, uh, just causally um, inevitable and that uh, something could not have been possibly something otherwise. When the Bible does not speak like that, even though the Bible has a very high view of God's sovereignty and a very uh, clear view that. God has appointed all things, that it does not encourage us to go down a path where we, um, we make things causally inevitable and, and view it like that. The Bible will talk about um, places where someone could have done something differently or could have desired something differently. And we need to, to recognize that the Bible does still have and holds together uh, the, the view of God's sovereignty and it holds it 
together with a view of true causality and that uh, causes are uh, meaningful and that, uh, uh, that these two things uh, harmonize with one another, even if we can't logically um, figure out all the uh, mysterious nuances of how uh, God's sovereignty, which transcends us, then uh, interrelates with a, the derivative, the analog of human sovereignty as we make uh, decisions. That these two do not operate on the same plane with one another, one um, is subsumed into the other, ours is subsumed into God's. And so we need to recognize that there is indeed a great mystery here because uh, God is creator and we are creature. And so then we end up with uh, a, a, a position where we hit um, that uh, the transcendence. And uh, what more can we say because we don't know what God knows and we don't see what God sees. And so... I guess to begin to, to speak about some uh, distinguishing our view of providence from fatalism and determinism, but maybe, Brandon, you can kind of bring us then to maybe how we do view then uh, providence, and if you want to comment maybe on determinism or fatalism, feel free as well, of course. Sure, yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously um, juxtaposed to those kind of pagan notions, uh, fatalism, determinism, the biblical view, you're right, it holds things together. Uh, it's often been called um, compatibilism because we're saying two truths are compatible even though we, we cannot fully map it out, understand it with our, with our minds. But, you know, God is sovereign, and, and the Bible presents us with the sovereignty of God from start to f finish. I mean, it, there's no way of getting around how sovereign God is. You know, the psalmist says, before a, a single day began, you planned it in your book. I mean, it doesn't. You don't get any any stronger language than that. Ephesians one eleven uh, speaks about how God works everything after the counsel of His own will, and so we're 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 told of God's sovereignty that He has uh, ordained whatsoever comes to pass. That there is nothing outside of His sovereignty. There's nothing outside of his eternal decree. There's nothing outside of his plan. And so we need to never minimize that, but, but maintain that. But what the fatalist determinist is doing is that's all they have. That's the only little piece that they're holding on to. And they're not realizing that, no, the Bible also presents us that there is real contingency. You know, uh, I could have worn a yellow shirt today. I, I could have worn a West Cal shirt today. That's right. But I have. but I didn't wear a West Cal shirt today. Some things we could have done, we should have done. Huh? <laughs> so, you know, th there's real contingency. Uh, but also, God ordained whichever comes to pass. Well, how in the world does that come together? Well, we don't fully know or grasp that. Um, it, it speaks about, the Bible speaks about how our choices are real. Like I, like, I did not make a fake choice today. I made a real choice today. And we are responsible for the choices that we make. The, the fatalist almost has this attitude like, well, I'm just, you know, how can I be responsible? How can I be, make anything meaningful choices or anything? Because it's all going to end in, in whatever, and so who cares? And they have this, this attitude that just kind of gives up in the face of what they see as hopeless. And that is totally antithetical to Christianity. In fact, that's quite pagan. So, um... Opposed to that would be the biblical view. The Belgic Confession speaks about providence like this. It says in Article 13, We believe that this good God, 
after he created all things, did not abandon them to chance or fortune, but leads and governs them according to his holy will, in such a way that nothing happens in this world without his orderly arrangement. Yet God is not the author of, nor can he be charged with, the, the, the sin that occurs. For his power and goodness are so great and incomprehensible that he arranges and does his work very well and justly, even when the devils and wicked men act unjustly. And it goes on in the Belgic to say, we cannot fully understand the providence of God, the sovereignty of God. So providence is kind of like the, the arm of God's sovereignty. It's the way in which it, it, it works out and, and the way in which he orders everything that's happening. Um, but we can't fully understand, and the Belgic does a great job in cautioning us, because, you know, like you said, we hear of God's sovereignty, and then we want to, our minds want to get into an airplane and get off into the clouds somewhere in, in, in abstract land and say things like, well, why would I pray, and why would I evangelize, and why would I do all of these things? Instead, we need to understand that there's mystery here. We need to think concretely. What does the text tell us? No, it tells us there's a real contingency. It tells us that our choices are meaningful and we are responsible. And so the, the Belgian goes on to say, we, we do not wish to inquire with undue curiosity into what he does that surpasses human understanding and is beyond our ability to comprehend. So we don't want to we don't want to inquire into that. And in fact, the Belgic is, is very clear that it is beyond our ability to comprehend it, beyond our ability. So trying to, to, uh, to grapple with it in such a way that we kind of logically lay everything out in sequence is a bad move, the Belgic Confession, I think, is, is warning us. Uh, the Heidelberg Catechism in question 27 also speaks about providence being the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds with his hand everything, basically. And it goes on to talk about how he rules everything, whether there's food or drink, whether there's health or sickness, whether there is prosperity or poverty. And it says, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. So everything that comes to us, whether we have a, 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 an abundance of food or a famine, everything comes to us from his fatherly hand, and in his providence. You know, it's interesting, too, reading some of the old classics, you know, the old great books, uh, you know, written back in the 1800s or something, or 1700s, and a lot of these authors, they always talk about the providence of God. I'm thinking of uh, Daniel uh, Defoe in his book, Robinson Crusoe, where <clears throat> you're stranded on, on this island, and the main character just understands, like, this is in God's providence that this happened. It was, I think it was more common to speak like this early, you know, hundreds of years ago, where we would just talk about God's providence. You know, whether it was a good thing or bad thing, uh, people just brought it back to the providence of God, and they would um, humble themselves. And, and, and it was more, I think, we, we were more consciously aware. Um, but some people might not see that as a comfort. Some people might look at the providence of God and actually start to have maybe bad views of God even. It might impact their theology of who they think God is. So Zach, maybe you can talk to us about why are some people tempted to have a bad view or, or not find comfort in, in providence? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to a, uh, a view of sin that isn't quite as biblical as it ought to be. I think maybe also a failure to view eternity 
as our true home as Christians, and then an overemphasis upon this life. Um, but also, I think, too, we can begin to think that, uh, you know, as I mentioned in a past episode, that our earthly story is really the main story, and that uh, anything that derails our own ambitions for ourselves uh, cannot possibly be good, and which really flies in the face of how Job responded in the book of Job. But yeah, maybe to begin with sin, I think that there was a sense in the past where people uh, viewed themselves uh, in a much more biblical light as being uh, sinful, as being um, uh, wicked. Uh, sometimes that could have been taken too far, uh, just to bemoan oneself in an unhealthy extreme. But I think that we can learn a lot from that because we uh, now want to have this self-esteem um, uh, society where I'm not the problem, other people are, and we affirm ourselves, and we uh, celebrate ourselves, and we have pride in who we are. And that really goes against a, a view that recognizes uh, biblically that we actually deserve far worse than what we receive in this life. And uh, grace is to even have a, a moment uh, without judgment, uh, much less uh, any kind of good gift. And so I think that, that puts us on a certain posture when we recognize uh, sin and we ha are humble ourselves. That puts us in a place where we can begin to think about God as being kind to us, even when things are not ideal as we might like them to be. In terms of our view of this life and the life to come, I think that we do think that this is the main event, don't we? Think This is my time. YOLO, you only live once. And so let's make the most of this life. And that's just simply not the biblical view. And even though Christians might affirm that with their mouths, I think that oftentimes we struggle with our hearts and our lives to live as if the new creation is our real home. And that is the main event. And that is the thing to which we're striving. We're merely on the path right now. And that is the great and glorious destination. And so the path is really much less consequential than where we will spend eternity in the presence of our Maker and our Redeemer. And so I think that's a big part of this too, where if we could see, like Job did, that the drastic change in our lives, which goes from a time of prosperity to a time of poverty or to a time of joy to a time of hardship, as being in God's plan and in His providence and actually as the means by which he brings us to our everlasting home, we might begin to embrace it better than we do now. Now, that doesn't mean that we uh, celebrate hardships in themselves. Uh, it doesn't mean that we um, have to put on a, a plastic smile when, when we actually need to instead mourn like Job did. But rather what it means is that we have a bigger view of things to say that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And that as we see in the person of Jesus Christ, that God appointed, he predestined, he planned out the most incredible hardship and suffering imaginable, but it had a wise and good purpose uh, involved with it and at the end of it. And so by way of analogy then, we can begin to think about our lives in that sort of a way. 
that we might indeed face a hardship in our lives, and indeed great hardship. And we might not understand how we can possibly bear these hardships. But what we see in the person of Christ, and what we see in the pages of Scripture, is a God who's actually using those things for a greater good than if those things had never happened. And so I think that a lot of per, uh, perspective is very important here. And as we um, think about this, uh, finding comfort in providence, I, I immediately think of uh, question 28 of our Heidelberg Catechism, which asks, how does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? The answer, we can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature will separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will they can neither move nor be moved. You know, we are so driven, I think, by earthly glory and by our own selfish ambitions that the idea of growing in patience might not seem like a very exciting thing for us. Uh, the, the idea that we are um, comforted that through suffering, God has us in his hand and that we are secure, that's to some might not be a great comfort. But I would ask, is it comforting to think that God does not have you in his hand during those times? Uh, would it have been a greater comfort for Job if God were not in control during those times of suffering? And I would say, no, it's actually much more um, of a consolation for us to see God's hand at work and to see that the awful things that occur actually do have purpose. Yeah, no, I like what you said there. And, you know, that parallels well, I think, with the Belgic uh, Confession as well. And you know, the, the Belgic goes on to talk about how this doctrine gives us unspeakable comfort since it reaches us, or since it teaches us, that nothing can happen to us by chance, but only by the arrangement of our gracious Heavenly Father. He watches over us with fatherly care, keeping all creatures under his control, so that not one of the hairs on our heads, for they are all numbered, not even a little bird can fall to the ground without the will of our Father. In this thought we rest, knowing that he holds in check the devils and all our enemies, who cannot hurt us without his permission and will. For that reason we reject the damnable error of the Epicureans, who say that God involves himself in nothing, and leaves everything to chance. So uh, clearly within the Reformed tradition, we see providence as something that is a great comfort to us. And you know, like you mentioned, some, so we, we go wrong sometimes when we have a, a wrong view of the world, a wrong view of ourselves, a wrong view of who God is, a wrong view of the plan of redemption. You know, when we have, when, when something's not calibrated well, we can have a very bad view of, of providence. But it should be, I think, a... A great things to, a great thing to us, uh, knowing that no matter what happens to us, like it's it's God's doing. To your point before, would 
would it be a comfort for Job if God were somehow not in control and everything was functioning by chance? Well, no. If God cannot govern and be in control of that moment in which you are suffering, then how can he be in control of any other point, or how can he use that then to turn it to, to your good? He must be sovereign throughout. The problem is people try to weaken God, and they say, well, when, when a bad thing happens, God is on the sidelines crying, and, and he's, he's hoping that you know um, something else could happen, but he just is powerless to do it. And then, But then we ask him to do something else in power, and we have this weak God view, and it's going to wreak havoc, I think, on our comfort. That's not, the, that's not the way to go. The way to go is understanding God is sovereign over the bad stuff and the good stuff, but knowing that he's working everything for our ultimate good in Christ, that one day in eternity we will look back and we will say, perfect. Just the most perfect thing. Uh, we can't see it now. Right now we see weeds and thorns and thistles and bad stuff. But in eternity we will see this. And we should find comfort in that. Even as some things hurt us or, or sting us, we should, I think, find comfort. Um, I might have used this analogy or this um, a story before, but one, one day we had a, a big snowfall. My uh, niece was over. She must have been maybe three, four years old at the time. And uh, we were building a big snowman. So I wanted a massive base, and I'm rolling this massive ball of, of snow. Couldn't even pick it up. It was so massive. And I'm like rocking this, this big ball of snow to try, to try to roll it. And I didn't realize that she was behind me trying to run and help me. But it so happened to catch when I was bringing my elbow back, caught her in the face. And, but what was so interesting is that even as she made that initial blow to the face, her next reaction was to hug me and, and weep on me because I was the only point of comfort to her. She was, she was just hurt. She wanted to be comforted. And I thought if you were a teenager, that wouldn't be the case. I probably would be getting yelled at. But I also thought what an interesting posture for us as in the providence of God, good things, bad things come, no matter what it is, our first posture, as, as it was for Job, is to lean in on, on God, on Christ. And even as Job is, is experiencing this, he's leaning in and worshiping um, um, God because he knows that God is, is the true source of, of his comfort. And so the providence should be a comfort to us because the, the promise of, of Romans 8.28 is that every bad thing that happens to us will serve us, will bow down to us and serve us and, 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 and increase us in terms of we will uh, have our ultimate good because God is working that out toward our ultimate good. Um, so even as we suffer, we realize we are pilgrim people. We are not yet home, and we can trust in, in, in Christ as we, as we pilgrim. So, anything else? Yeah. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Sincere Reform Podcast. Uh, check out our other episodes at sincerereform.org. If you're in the area, join our church. We'd love to see you um, for worship. Westsidereforms.org. Until next time, thank you. Bye bye.